0: Um, so, this is uh, our Bible Institute on Wednesday night. Most of you know we have a Bible Institute. We had 679 students as of this morning from all over the world. Very interesting how that happens. We get some new folks every week and they uh, start to engage in their studies. And we're happy to be a part of that here. We do, uh, it's you know certainly available to all of you if you want to go online anytime. There's 110 or 11 courses available to you. It's all free. Or you can come in, sit in on these. This is a much slower way to do this, but uh, you could you could get a degree if you could hang out for like forty years. But uh, <laughs> but hopefully you'll learn a lot and get some fellowship and worship and all that good stuff. That's why we do it. Um, so there you go. We uh, are going to look through some things in Luke. We're talking right now through the Gospel of Luke. This is a New Testament survey, so we're kind of that allows me to hit and miss through uh, the New Testament, and, and um, we can kind of pick out the the importance. That's all important, but I'll pick out stuff that feels important for the day, um, and the time, and, and sort of give you a feel for things. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels are known as the Synoptic Gospels because they, they, uh, they, they tell a lot of the same sort of stories, different personalities. Obviously, the Holy Spirit working through the writer of each one, and their personalities get incorporated into it, and And and, uh, you know how they were involved, and what that does um, to the way that you hear the gospel. But all inspired by the Holy Spirit. So um, some of these stories um, that we're going to look at in Luke are in Matthew or Mark. Some aren't, but but uh, they share a lot of the same stories. The Gospel of John is the one that's the most different of those four, but um, all of them very cohesive because the Bible is very cohesive because it was ultimately authored by the Holy Spirit. So we're up into chapter six. And um, this is an interesting little passage, Luke 6, 1 through 11. I'm going to read it. We'll talk about it uh, in this about Jesus saying he's Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to, to do good or do, to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all, and he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So a pretty interesting passage uh, of what's going on. And that phrase... Lord of the Sabbath is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and um, Jesus is referring to himself as as Lord of the Sabbath, or as Mark uh, puts it, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And what Jesus is proclaiming is that he's the one who exercises authority um, even over the rules and regulations that at that time were governing the Sabbath day. Uh, and so, what jesus is is proclaiming um, is that um, especially to the Pharisees uh, is that he was greater than the law and above the laws of the Mosaic covenant, because um, as God in flesh he 's the author of those laws and what had happened was the the Pharisees, because they couldn 't even live up to the Ten commandments had had started to try and and legislate everything. And they had come up with a whole other series of laws just about the Sabbath, and ended up being over time hundreds of laws in thirty nine different categories that, that were considered forbidden activities and, and so what you need to catch is what 's going on when jesus said he 's the Lord of the Sabbath, the Pharisees had made all these rules over the Sabbath, basically proclaiming that they were Lord of the Sabbath, and Jesus was totally undoing that because they weren 't and never should have been and so Jesus is, is coming in and, and talking about the heart of the matter. Now, we've discussed Sabbath here quite often. And even today, a lot of people get really hung up over this idea of what day is it and what does it mean and what's supposed to be going on and what is it I can do and what is isn't I can't do. And um, I, always, I like this sort of thought. So when the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel, Um, And and remember, when they're introduced, they're introduced as the ten words, anyway. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And the the timing of them introduced, it was after they'd already been delivered. The people of Israel had already been delivered from slavery and oppression. So they were not how to be delivered and set free. That had already happened. They They were the ten words. God was speaking into what community should look like. And the first three were about loving God. And the last six are about loving your neighbor. And number four, which is about Sabbath, is really about loving yourself because um, that's how that gets summarized. And I really think the idea of Sabbath is, is to make sure that you're taking some time to separate from the craziness of the world around us and to focus on God. Uh, and that our tendency is to get so caught up in everything and think that nothing can operate without us and that we can't survive unless we're totally going full on. And the, the reason that's such a big problem is is we end up right back in slavery and oppression and everything that he said is free from. We're not experiencing life. We get ripped back up into the same thing, into the, the, what he was trying to free us from. And so that's the idea behind it. So it goes way beyond a day. It goes way beyond... Um, a set of rules. It's, it's about making sure that you are taking time to put God first in your life and that you're doing it on a regular basis. And God knows you and He wired you. You need a break. You need a rest. You don't function if you just keep going, 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 going. And so you have to recreate. But it's, it's more about making sure you're taking that time than anything else. So that's what's going on with that. And it's important to know. All right. Gentlemen. Good to see you. Okay, then he talks about love. Luke 6, 27 through 36. But I tell you who hear me, Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. That's a tough one. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. You ever wonder what what was he talking about? Jesus. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others, as you would have them do to you. Most of you know that one, right? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies... Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. So again, when, when Jesus starts to talk, remember He's trying to undo things and He's dealing with a group of people, the established religious community in particular here, who've tried to um, regulate and legislate everything and setting themselves above everybody else, and they're not loving well at all. In fact, they've made it so that they don't have to love or deal with anybody they think that's not, you know, that's beneath them. And so Jesus having to make them—he's trying to get them to think differently, because um, it's easy to love people that love you, but that's—he wants us to take it a step beyond that. See, that's not kingdom dynamic. In the kingdom. That's why I love, you know, we talk about the golden rule very often. We're, we're to treat people the way we want to be treated. Our tendency is to treat people the way they treat us, and the kingdom is different. So uh, we, we're to treat people the way we want to be treated in every instance. How they treat us back is between them and God. That doesn't mean that you've got to be a doormat, and he's not telling you here, to just let people constantly take advantage of you, he's just saying the way that you need to think about people is is different, and that that we want to come at situations with love first, and then you know you you, you will know where where you draw lines on certain people um, in, in the process. But it's just it's a it's a change of mindset that that uh, starts to look at things differently. When when uh, they're talking about love in the Bible in the Greek. Um, there's, we only have one word for love, and there's a lot of Greek words for love. And so you have to kind of try and figure out which one they're talking about at different times. Uh, in the Greek, there's the word eros, which is sort of a sensual type of love. There's philia, which is uh, sort of a social, brotherly, sisterly kind of love. And then there's agape love, which is a sacrificial love, which is generally what's getting talked about. In the scripture how we're to love people and it's a it's a sacrificial type love it's a it's a love that doesn't expect anything back it's great when it happens back but it it doesn't come that way but so so the love words can be a little different just so you know when you're reading it that there's different things going on and there's actually another couple of words that can be using it. there's a store gay love which is kind of the the unconditional love like you give to your children um and and so that they grow up experiencing that they they can know about the love of god so there's there's a lot going on with love but you get the idea. It's, it's, uh, it's bigger than what we often make it. And it's, it's, a, it's a love that gives. And then, you know, see, he loves us first. And it happens in that process. Okay. Then there's an interesting story about, uh, story about Simon in Luke seven thirty six, 36. And uh, th- this isn't Simon Peter, Simon. This is another Simon. All right. And he was a Pharisee. Now, one of the Pharisees, invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. He loved that about Jesus too. He, if somebody asked him, he would go, I like that. And uh, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Okay, I always love that verse. That'll make me stop. So did you catch what's going on? This Pharisee's thinking to himself what he just thought to himself, and Jesus answers him. I love that about Jesus. So he goes, Okay, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher said... Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, and so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose you're the one that had the bigger debt canceled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, that's a great picture. Um, if you wonder how that's happening around the table, so they, they, um, so they, so we eat differently than they used to eat. Like when you, when you see the picture of the Last Supper and everybody sitting at a table, that's not how things went. So, um, in in this time period, in this culture, uh, dinner or lunch or meals would have been served at a table, but the table would have been on the floor, and you wouldn't sit it cross-legged or anything else. You, you would basically recline. You would lay down at the table. Be just in front of the table, and you would be on your elbow you, and generally the, this one and and you would go like this and and you would sit and from here in this position you would you would help yourself to food and you could have conversation with almost everybody but the person behind you and uh, um, and and that was how they had meals, so their feet would extend away from the table right they 're laying down i 'm not going to lay it down right now, so just please get it all right so there they're extended. So this woman comes and she's obviously been ministered to by Jesus at some point because she knows who he is and, he's, and so she knows what's going on. And so she sees him and so she's, she approaches and so his feet would be down there. And um, it would be customary for you at a foot. We've talked about foot washing at meals, a pretty normal thing. The Pharisee didn't do that for Jesus and this lady comes and she does that with her tears. She's just grateful to be there. Um, and, and so she's expressing that that devotion and love to Jesus uh, and Simon the Pharisee who's he's a Pharisee and he he thinks it's all rules right and regulations and laws it's got nothing to do with mercy and grace and forgiveness and all those things they're just about doing the rules and and so he doesn't get it and I love that he thinks that about this at first he's judged this woman horrifically and Jesus hasn't uh, and uh, so he starts to see the dynamics at work what's going on and he can't believe that Jesus would even let this happen and so it's, he's sort of going, well, who, he can't be. What kind of prophet is this that would allow that to happen? But he's missed the whole point. And Jesus has to straighten him out with what's going on. There's a here's a woman who has lived a life like all of us as sinners, and she's found some hope in Jesus and some life in Jesus, and and now she's come to to worship, and and. Uh, that's what it's supposed to look like. She realizes her great need for forgiveness and that she's received it and it's changed her life. See, that's what we all need to realize. That's why it's so important that we get that it's not about following rules because if you're following the rules, you start thinking you're doing it and that you're you're good. If you're, oh, what are the rules? I'm following them. I'm good. No, you're a sinner. You can't ever follow the rules appropriately. And and so the, the whole thing is, then I say that and people go, well, I can do whatever. Well, of course not. You're being led by the Holy Spirit now as a believer and the Holy Spirit is very good about directing you and you just have to learn to listen and really quickly will tell you you shouldn't be doing that everybody gets that right you know when you start doing something you shouldn't be doing the Holy Spirit will immediately jump on that and and you still have the choice because he's cool I just said that about the Holy Spirit that's kind of funny (laughs) but he's leading and he's teaching and and I, I think we learn over time It's much better to listen and go His way. but It's a process. None of us gets it right all the time. But you get the idea. That's happening. All right. Luke 9, the transfiguration happens. Very cool. Verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with Him and went up into a mountain to pray. As He was praying, the appearance of His face changed and His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about His departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Jesus, Peter, said to him, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. (laughs) He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. the disciples kept this to themselves told no one at that time what they had seen so um, that, there's a there 's some stuff that happens before what I read you and what Jesus had told his disciples was that um he would he was going he would suffer and and be killed and then be raised to life that was back in luke nine twenty two um, so after he tells them this, then they go up to the mountain and this transfiguration thing happens and um, glorified body, dazzling white. Moses and Elijah appear and they, they represent um, you know, Moses, uh, the, the law and the prophets and that you, the voice of God comes out and says, this is my son, listen to him. He's bigger than the law and the prophets. And, uh, and so all these things are happening and it's, it's really important that that happens. Uh, this incident impacts the disciples forever. Um, they write about it. Later on in, in their all of their writings, this, this incident comes up, how they'd seen him in this whole process. And uh, and so they got a big insight at that moment into who he was and his deity and what that looks like. Uh, and so John writes about it in John 1. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Peter writes it about it in 2 Peter 1. Um, how they'd, they'd been with him and the voice had come from them on the mountain. This would be happening. And so all this happens... And the, the, the father has told them to listen to Jesus. And what's Jesus been telling them? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer. These things have to happen. And on the way down from the mountain, in Luke 9 46 through 50, an argument starts among the disciples as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus knows their thoughts, took a little child, had him stand behind him. He said, to them, Whoever welcomes this little child uh, in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he was least among you, he is greatest. Master said, John, we've seen a man driving out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. Forever is not against you is for you. So the disciples are are having trouble trying to take in what Jesus is telling them, and they will up till the very end um, because it's not their paradigm and it's not what they think should happen. And they still think that Jesus... because Peter will actually rebuke Jesus later and say, well, that's not going to happen because Jesus keeps trying to tell him, I'm going to go to the cross, is it going to happen? No, no, not you, Lord. Uh, and uh, he's got to deal with that because they keep thinking Jesus is going to overthrow the Romans, set up the Davidic kingdom, and that they're going to be the top guys. That's why the arguments are happening. And, and it's hard to hear what's going to happen. And I, I'm not shocked by that because it's hard for us to get outside of our own little paradigm of how we think things are going to happen. And God doesn't usually work in our little box. So uh, he certainly didn't do it in that case. Then there's the Good Samaritan, one of my favorite stories. I'm good. I'm rolling. Luke ten twenty-five. Let me read it. We just did it on Sunday not that long ago too. On one occasion, verse 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. In the other Gospels, Jesus is the one saying that. But here, this guy has obviously heard some, somewhere along the line Jesus saying it, and he's letting him know, Jesus, good. You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wants to justify himself, this guy. And so he says, Well, then, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. He said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So a lot of stuff happening in that text. Um, the. Established religious community, the Pharisees did not like Samaritans at all. And I've talked about why the Samaritans were sort of a mix of religious uh, things. Some of it was Judaism, but a lot of it wasn't. And so the uh, the Pharisees would have nothing to do with them, avoided them at all costs. Wouldn't even mention them by name. You notice that the lawyer at the end doesn't say, well, who was the?" when Jesus asked who was the neighbor, it was, the answer should have been, well, the Samaritan, and he doesn't say that. He says, oh, I guess the one that showed mercy on him. So, okay. Um, Can't even say it. uh, But the established religious community, when they see this incident, have no compassion, no mercy. They just move. They just walk by on the other side. The the priest and the Levite have nothing to do with it. Off they go. Only the Samaritan responds out of compassion and moves to the person's need and then does what needs to be done. I like thinking of it this way, uh, that in that story... The Samaritan is Jesus, and we're the people that are beaten up and broken on the side of the road, and it's only Jesus who really comes searching for us and does what it takes to restore us and renew us and pay the price for our mess and take care of us with the Holy Spirit and go to the cross and pay for our sin and do all the things that needed have everything that we needed to be bandaged and made whole, Jesus does, and, and only Jesus can do it. Established religious mess can't do it for you. Only Jesus can, and it's a great picture of that. In the process and he's again dealing with people um, that are not in relationship but are trying to walk it out with rules okay last story Mary and Martha last story for today not certainly not in the Luke gospel but all we'll get to today I like this story too. Luke 10 38 through 42 as Jesus and his disciples were on their way he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So I love that story because Mary gets what's important, hanging out with Jesus. Martha loves Jesus but she's gotten distracted by getting busy and there's a priority thing there so what you always want to do in life is you want to make sure that you're hanging out with Jesus and then you get busy as he directs you to get busy but you can pick up you can get busy apart from hanging out with Jesus pretty easily because there's always something to do and there's actually there's always a lot of good stuff that can be done but it doesn't mean it's the right stuff and and so the difference is one of those things brings life and the other doesn't. And, and that's what Jesus is getting to. So you, you, uh, you, you always want to make sure that you are connecting with Jesus first and foremost and then everything is coming out of that in your relationship and not the other way around because it's very easy to get busy. Um, and distracted, and that's what it was. You know, Mary was, uh, Martha was busy making sandwiches for everybody, and she was. Ha- and let me ask you another question: Have you ever been busy doing all that kind of stuff, and you get hacked off at everybody else for not helping? Anybody ever had that? <laughs> can you can you relate to it? Hey, <laughs> somebody else get out there and do it. But you know, when when you start to feel that way, just pfft, I'm going to go worship. See you. <laughs> People will eventually figure out how to eat. You ever f- you ever find that out? When they get hungry, hey, hey, where's the food? Somebody, somebody, nobody's doing the food. Somebody will get on the phone and order pizza, almost guarantee it. So it's a hard thing, right? And so you, you, when, when you got that part right, you, you won't feel that way that Martha was feeling. That's it. all that Jesus was saying because he loved Martha and Mary. They were, they were friends, right? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were his friends. And, and uh, he loved Martha, and he just said, Martha, Mary's chosen the better part. I'm not going to tell her to go. Basically, come on in here. We'll get to dinner. We'll get to lunch. Well, it'll happen. Let's let's, just do this part. So um, it's just important for us to make sure that we get this part before we get busy. Or else we'll end up being very busy and distracted, but we'll feel like, Martha, why isn't anybody helping me? And uh, that's when you know it's not quite right. Okay, that's enough for today. I can talk a lot, but that's enough. Nobody needs any more than that. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. Come and join us when you can. God bless you guys.